All right, well, good evening, everyone. If you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and uh, turn to John chapter 8, and we will get there. All right. All right. Well, I'm starting to sweat. Let's pray. We'll, we'll go into this. Let's pray. Father, I confess that the, the task set before me to teach your word is too big for me. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take every moment of this time, my part in preaching and all of our parts in listening, and that, Holy Spirit, you would keep us teachable and humble to receive instead of jumping to conclusions that we think we've already got it all figured out. Pray that you keep us sensitive to the movement that you want us to experience, but draw us, convict us. Father, tonight is this pretty, it's a pretty straight-up topic, and I feel like it's one that's ignored by a lot. But it is so necessary, and it just makes your gospel that much more impressive. And so I pray that every single one of us, whether we're completely in love with you and committed to you or we just don't believe in you or can't stand you father i pray i pray that you draw us to jesus and i pray that you would bring this sense of compassion even as you deal with us directly because you love us oh god i pray you bring freedom thank you that you offer it we pray this in jesus name and everyone who agrees says Amen. I remember years ago, I was speaking at a, a camp. I don't remember which one. And um, I'd asked this question of many different camps before. And I'd say, okay, so you know, on a scale, like when you think of one of the like, worst people that have lived, that really have impacted the world negatively, who do you think of? And they, they thought, oh, usually it's always Hitler. So we put Hitler here. And then, and then they say, well, what about the, like, the most gracious and loving and giving person? Mother Teresa. So we put her over here. And that's usually every time. Except this one camp. And so I started with good. I was like, so who's one of those good people? And Mother Teresa came up again. Hey, who's one of those like, really raunchy type of people that just did some gnarly things? And some kid yelled out. And I don't know if you remember this guy. It's kind of a show from back in the day. But he just screamed out, Charlie Sheen. And I sat, well, anybody, two and a half men back in the day. I was like, wait, so let's go with this. A man who made sure that six million people were killed because of their ethnicity compared to the party guy. Like this, the guy that drinks too much and has some addiction, that guy's worse. And so I've never asked that question at a camp before because I'm always afraid what's going to come back. See, we have this standard as, as people. It's like, well, I'm a good person. If I was to ask, are you a good person? I think most people say, yeah, I'm a good person. But what's your standard? Because if my standard is I'm, well, so long as I'm better than Hitler, well, I'm praying that you are. Like, I really want you to be better than that. And it shouldn't be like barely. It's like, if there's Hitler, it shouldn't be like you're rubbing shoulders up with him. Like, there should be this pretty ma major gap between you and him. 
But isn't it weird? It's like, well, I'm, I'm no Mother Teresa. I ain't no Hitler. I'm like right here, and we think that this is the standard. This is, this is good. But to God, the standard is himself. The standard is perfection. This is not the standard, friends. And even if I was to ask you if you're a good person, if you say yes, and yet at the same time you say that you don't believe in absolute truth, guys, you're, you're not making sense. For you to say that you're a good person means that you actually believe that there is a standard of good, which means there's an absolute truth. And so to say that you're good and to mention that somebody else is bad means that your standard is an absolute. And you, maybe others don't agree with your absolute, but it is an absolute to you. But do you remember when we talked about the problem, if it's just a truth for you, but it's a truth for me and it's completely different, how that will never play out well? See, we think that we're okay. Or I feel like maybe a lot of what I've heard in the church, and I believe that we are, but this is what I usually hear most. Guys, you're broken. But what that kind of conveys sometimes is that, well, it wasn't your fault. Like, you're a victim. Like, someone broke you. And it wasn't, it wasn't you who did it. Somebody else did it, but now God has to fix it. And it kind of feeds this, this entitlement mentality. God, you have to. Guys, we got to pull back from that, that mentality that we're only broken. Or, hey, I'm not that bad. I'm a pretty good person. And we go back to what does the Bible say? Just keep, you there, just keep your finger there in John chapter 8. I'm going to roll through a couple verses. In Psalm 51 verse 5, the psalmist says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, or I was brought forth in sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I mean, from your conception, you were, you were sin. You were full of sin. Isaiah 64, 6, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. The living translation of that same verse says this, we're all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Mark chapter 10, verse 18, even Jesus talks about this. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? And then he says this, no one is good except God alone. Guys, it's in this context. Here's the context when Jesus asks that question. Why do you call me good? There's a rich young guy. And the rich young guy comes running up to Jesus and says, okay, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He's on his knees, and I actually think he's asking, asking legitimate questions. Not just, it's not just like this show. I really think he meant it. But he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the first thing that Jesus does is not answer the question, but ask his own. He says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And then he continues on. He says, you know the commandments. And he starts to quote some of the commandments. And then it was time for this rich young person to, 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 to speak his, his part, he says, teacher, I have kept all of these commandments since I was young. Guys, the first time, the first time the rich person, the rich young person talked to Jesus, re- referred to him, he calls him what? Good teacher. But the second time, he only calls him teacher. Right after Jesus said, hey, no one's good except God alone. Can you imagine? He's just going through it. Jesus just said that. He's listening to what Jesus says. He's like, who is Jesus. Do I believe him to be God? And I'm convinced that he kept the good part out of the second part because he didn't believe him to be God. But even in that statement, he says, no one's good except God. So why do you call me good? Mark chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, 
sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Guys, remember when you were younger and you had Valentine's Day? Did you guys have a parent or one of your parents that made you take Valentine's to everybody? Right? I didn't like it. It just wasn't my thing. But you show up, it's like, will you be my Valentine? Or here's my heart. It's like, I just want to give you my heart. Here's my heart. Guys, just think about what you're offering them based on what Jesus just described. I want to give you my heart. And I think at that point, maybe they need to pull back and go, I don't know if I want it. Because from the human heart come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. It's okay, you can have it. Guys, that's your human heart. We think we're not that bad, but it's from within us, which is sin. Come all of these things. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. And then we go, well, but I haven't done this. Like I know other people who've done worse things than I have done. But James chapter 2, verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. So you may say, I haven't done that. But if you've done this, you're a lawbreaker. Doesn't matter what law you broke, because God's the standard. Remember in the opener when you see the tree up here? There's that piece of fruit. We're going to look at it for just a second in Genesis chapter 3. If you want to turn you there, you can. We're going to be there for a little bit. In Genesis chapter 3, it always blows my mind. Genesis chapter 1 is this big picture of how God created everything. Genesis chapter 2 is kind of like a laser beam focus of how he created men and women. And It took three chapters for us to break the whole thing. Guys, how many of you ever broken something that, that belonged to somebody else? And then you had to tell them. Is that not just awkward? I remember I made a joke once. I brought this up at a church. It was, it was the church I was at before. I'm the one I'm at now. And I said, you ever broken, like, has anyone ever, you ever broken a Ferrari? Like somebody else's Ferrari. And I just thought, oh, no one has ever done that. Except this woman comes up. She's on our staff. She goes, how did you know? I said, what? I don't know what you're talking about. It was like 20 minutes after I preached. And so when they go, how did you know? I'm like, there's a lot of time here that I have no clue what the heck you're talking about. I need some context. She goes, my husband borrowed a Ferrari once and crashed it. I said, oh, is he alive? <laughs> and he survived the crash, but I thought the owner would have killed him. I just thought, really? Like he broke a Ferrari? Mine's not that. This is my story. I was like five. I was at my aunt and uncle's house. It's like a family gathering, and we're all in line to get food. I remember this, and I was somehow in the back, and I don't know how I got in the back. I got behind all the adults. I was like, oh, so much for women and children. I guess I'll sit in the back. And so all, all I wanted was mac and cheese, blue box mac and cheese. That's all I cared about. When I was five, just give me mac and cheese constantly. I don't care. And so I'm just waiting, and I see scoop after scoop. like, don't you dare. I'm thinking, I'm looking at my uncle. Don't you, I will come here late at night. And smack your face while you sleep. Like, don't take the last bite. And so all of a sudden I have some, but I'm getting bored by the time I'm getting So I'm bored. I'm like, I can flip this plate. I'm just holding a plate. I just thought halfway. So nobody's watching. I flip it halfway. I'm like, oh, I'm amazing. Like in my mind, I pictured people applauding. I know, like, oh, yes, that was me. And I thought I could do it the whole way. So I flip it the whole way. And I went for one and a half. You know when you're at a restaurant and 
everything's like, you hear all the noises and then a plate crashes and everything goes quiet and then we in our grace, we do something like this. Hey, way to go, yeah! <laughs> Just because we're such jerks. Guys, the whole place went silent. I just looked down, and I took off running. And I, I, remember, I remember the layout of my aunt's house. I don't know how. I go down. I should have gone left, because that's where the door was. And in my mind, I was going to run to Mexico. But I went right. And then I went right, right, left, left. And I jumped in their shower. It was the biggest place, that I, biggest shower I've ever seen. I thought it was an apartment. I jumped in, shut the door, and I was hiding over a plate. And all of a sudden, I hear these footsteps. And because I was running so fast, I'm like trying to not breathe as loud. You ever try to not breathe loud when you're trying to be quiet? It's like. <laughs> so, right? so, you're trying to, so you're trying to keep it all quiet. And I hear, and all of a sudden, I know it's my aunt. And when I'm five, she looks massive. My aunt's like five foot one now. I'm not too terrified of her now. But then I thought, oh my gosh, here she is. And she starts to open the door and I slam it shut. I'm like, I'm in the shower. <laughs> Water's not running. I'm just sitting there on the tile. So she opens it again. She goes, Brian, what are you doing in here? I just, I couldn't get words out. It's like watching the father of the bride try to give the toast while emotional. You ever see that? He's like, I just want <clears throat> to, I told myself I wouldn't do this. <laughs> His wife is all, you got this, I know, I'm strong. It's like, all this noise just pops out, right? And I'm like, unless you, can, unless you can interpret the tongues, you need to sit down and be quiet. So that's just kind of what flew out. And then she looks at me, and she knew what I said. I, I did it through the whole pantomime thing I was doing. And she looks at me, she goes, well, Brian, it's no big deal. It's like a, it's like a dollar plate. <laughs> I remember I go, then why am I in the shower? <laughs> She's like, I don't know. She goes, you want to come get some food? I was like, yeah. So I went out, and then she gave me a paper plate. And so I drop kicked her. <laughs> I'm just so, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. I'm totally joking. Guys, that was, I mean, it's, it's just a plate. Guys, what would it be like? It's not a plate Adam and Eve broke. It was the whole world. Everything. Everything that God entrusted. He gave Adam this responsibility. I want you to work the ground. I want you to keep it. The word keep means to protect or to guard. And they broke it in three chapters. Isn't it weird how God will give us something, we'll break it, and then we'll, we'll blame him for giving, the, for giving us the freedom to care for it because we broke it. And then we'll expect him to fix it all quickly. Guys, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it happened like this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he, the serpent, said to the woman, did God actually say, hold on for just a second. Guys, this is the same tactic that the enemy uses today. Did God actually say? 
I mean, when you open the pages of this book, are you telling me that God still says this? I mean, Brian, don't you understand how the times have changed? So maybe that was for then, but definitely not for now. Are you telling me that this is what God said? You're really gonna hold on to this when so many people in society completely disagree with you? Did God really say that? Isn't it weird how we think that God changes with the times and yet the Bible, cha- the Bible tells us that he doesn't change like shifting shadows. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the enemy says the same thing. Did he really say? And for some of you, my fear is this, that when the enemy says, did he really say, your only answer back is, I don't know, because you don't know it. You don't spend time in it. Can I do a real quick how-to thing for you on how to read the Bible? How to do a quiet time? Real quick. I got some time. Here's why. Guys, I heard how to read the Bible. I'm not how. I heard you need to read the Bible all throughout youth group. Read it. Read it. I'm like, okay. Genesis. I remember we talked about Exodus. Leviticus. Nope. Nope. Not doing that again. (laughs) Numbers? Absolutely not. I don't care how many people are in that group. I don't care. Deuteronomy, 1st, 2nd Samuel, I'll read that. That's like a soap opera. A lot of drama in that. Judges gets freaky toward the end, 1st and 2nd Kings, all jacked up in weird stuff. But some of those, no, no. So, but I, I get so frustrated because I don't know what to do because every other book you start in the beginning, you go through. Here's what you do, ready? For those who are taking notes, here's a quick acronym to put down your page. Okay, put these letters down your page. Ready, ready? Prom was. Guys, I've taught this for the last 20 years. Why? Because when I was 19 at Hume Lake as a counselor, as a, as a counselor for a youth group, I went to, a, I went to a, a workshop where the person said, this is how you have a quiet time. That's the first time I ever had anyone show me how to do it. So if I'm going to say you need to be in the Word, I should probably give you something to do how, right? So prom was, P-R-O-M-W-A-S. Prom was, you're like, that's not a word. I know. But I've never forgotten it because if I say, hey, hey, how was your prom? You're like, prom was Stupid. Prom was awesome. So P-R-O-M-W-A-S. First thing, P, pray. This is what you say. God, I pray you'd reveal to me. Reveal something. Speak to me. Show me something. You don't have to go big. Father in heaven, creator of the universe. Alpha and omega, beginning and the end. He knows who he is. He actually knows when you're talking to him. If you don't say, dear Jesus, it's not like he sits there and goes, oh, wait, were you talking to me? And why pray? Why do it? Here it is. Guys, it's not a rite or a ritual. It's getting to talk to God. You get to talk to him about anything and everything. But on this one, just say, God, would you help me understand this? And be honest, I don't get this. So would you help me understand? Reveal. Anytime anything pops out of the Bible, that's God revealing it. So that's P. P is what? R. Read. Oh, What do you read? Guys, if you've never read the Bible, don't start in Revelation. Don't do that. Why? Because those of us who've read it, we still don't know all of it. We don't get it. We think we do. We don't get it. Guys, here's what I would say. Here's my suggestion. Either read the book of Mark or the book of Philippians. Go with one of those. One of those two. Start with Mark, start with Philippians. But you start the book, you finish the book. Not all in one sitting. Start it and finish. Why? You get a text message. You don't start in the middle. 
Here's the test. If it's a long one, you're like, oh, they really meant it. I'm important. Guys, you, <laughs> you ever gotten that long? It's, my mind is like all of it's like squirrel. Okay, so you ever gotten that long text, and then you feel the pressure that your response has to be as long? Because <laughs> if it's not as long, what's the problem? If it's not as long, they don't love me. So, but when you get that long text message, you don't start at sentence four. You start at the beginning, you go through. Why is it with the Bible? This is what we do. I just want to understand your will, God. Brrr, boom! Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. I will be Zion. <laughs> that is the will of the Lord. No, don't do that. So start. If you start the book of Mark, start chapter 1, verse 1. And here's how much you read. First, pick a translation you get. If you're all about King James and you love the these and thous and you want to play Shakespeare, go for it. But if you don't understand it, find a translation that you understand. Guys, ask your youth pastors, which one do you suggest? My favorite, the one I preach from, is it's called ESV, English Standard Version. That's my favorite. Because it's literal and it's readable. I get it. But what, just pick one. You start in verse 1, and in most Bibles, there's subheadings, right? Just go subheading to subheading. Just start there. So I think the first four verses of Mark, it's subheading to subheading. Four verses. When people go, Brian, I don't like to read. You'll read a menu. I'm like, oh, that's different. That's what I want. <gasps> ah, there it is. Friends, as long as this is something you have to do rather than you get to do, it's always a chore. But when this becomes something that you get to spend time with God hearing from him, it becomes a delight. Guys, I'm telling you, trust me, God revolutionized my life when it became the most important thing I do every day. So start, finish, subheading to subheading, that's it. Just read it. Four verses, it takes about what? 32 seconds. You have time. So pay, uh, P is what? Pray. You hear what I said? Pay. <laughs> pay is what? Okay. So P is? Pray. R? O? Observe. This is what you do. You mark the crud out of your Bible. Just mark it up. Questions, underline stuff, rocket stuff. Put the date of when God spoke something massive to you. Just observe it. So you read it through once, go back, and then mark it up. Guys, make it look like a coloring book. I don't care. People are like, Brian, you need to show proper respect to the word. That is God's word. It's his word. It's not his face. He's fine with it. He's good. Guys, understand it. Get into it. Ask questions. Pretend like you're in the passage, but observe it. Notice how many words are repeated. Notice the people that are involved in it. Notice the order of events. Everything. Just make these notes, observations. M is meditate. So observation and meditate go together. It just means you're thinking through it. You're asking questions. You're being honest with it. So P is R-O-M-W. Well, what? Right. You're like, that's an R. Uh, you're in summer. Guys, W-R-I-T. Like, write something out. Guys, I have a journal that I keep with my Bible. You're like, Brian, I, I prefer my phone. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Turn that off. They make these in paper. And they make journals and paper. There's something about, guys, studies even show you, you remember things more when you write by hand. And what do you write? 
Here's the simple one. For those that love creative writing, write a story about anything you read. Become a character in the story. I don't care. Just make yourself, like, engage yourself in the passage. If you don't like to write, just write out a verse that pops out as you're reading. Have you ever had that verse pop out? Write the verse out and then write out why you wrote it. That's it. That's it. Anyone can do that. P R O M W. You want to go for A? No, no. Apply. Ask. Man, you're a question person. Good. Apply. You take something that was written a couple thousand years ago. God, show me. How do I apply this? And write down one key point. This is how I can apply this to my life. Not this, not this is what it means to me. No, 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 no. There's one truth in the passage. You don't get to decide what the truth is. But you, you got to ask God, how do you want me to apply this to my life? And then S, share. You share it. You share it with someone. Now, I'm not saying every time. But how many of you have ever gotten that text or that phone call at the perfect time from somebody? Anybody? It's like, how did that happen? Like, oh, coincidence. And Jesus is up there going, are you kidding? I don't even believe in coincidence. God knows how to comfort his people. And you just ask, God, is there someone you want me to share this with? God, I can, guys, think about it. You might be the answer to somebody's prayer that they've been praying because you share something that God taught you. P R O M W A S. Try it tomorrow. Just try it tomorrow. Guys, there's no way. I'm telling you, there's no way that you can understand God's will if you're not in God's word. You cannot understand his will unless you're in his word. And if you're sitting there going, I don't like this way. I already have a way. Use your way. This isn't the way. This is a way. So when the enemy comes along and says, did God really say? After a while, you can sit there and go, yep, he said it. Because I saw it. I, I read it. Guys, we need to know the word so we can stand against when the enemy comes. Does, did God really say this? Did God really say you'll so, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God ever say that? Isn't it just like the enemy to stretch things out? It's like, did God really say you can't have any fun? Think about it. Who created fun? Joy and laughter. Isn't it not God? So here's the woman's response. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, here's the thing. She was right about the first, but not the second. God did say, don't, don't eat it. But God never said, don't touch it. Now, I'm not saying we should have license, then go just get as close to sin as we can. But friends, if for some of you sitting there go, yeah, I had this experience. God told me to tell you, you better make sure that it's God. Just because it's nice and it makes them feel better, but you, when you attribute it to God, do you realize what God said in the Old Testament of prophets that would speak on his behalf who were wrong? Like they thought they were speaking the things of God, or they just made it up and connected it to God. God said, anyone who speaks my word as a prophet and it doesn't come true, they're to be killed. That's what God says, and so make sure, don't be like Eve, it's like, oh, just put it all together, God said it. She got part of it right, and then she added on something. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Wow, he's good at his job. You're not going to die. In other words, you know what? God's holding out on you. He's holding out on you. You're not going to die. For God knows when you eat of it. Notice he doesn't say if you eat of it. When you eat of it, 
temptation there? You're going to be just like him, knowing good and evil. So what's her response? So when the woman saw that the tree was, and here's justification number one. The tree was good for food, justification number two. It was a delight to the eyes. And then the third, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She came up with three reasons as to why it was okay to disobey what God had strictly said. And friends, we do the same thing today. If I can come up with more reasons than the commandment, then I must be in the right. And if I can get enough people to agree with me that what God said is not good or right, then I can continue to do it, and I've got a bunch of people with me to back me up. Guys, if eight and a half, eight and a half billion people all agreed on one thing that was against what God said, God would still be right, and all eight and a half billion of us would be wrong. So she took up its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. I remember for years I used to think that he, like, Adam was off in a hut by himself somewhere. Like, chilling out like Gilligan, just over here by himself, and she's over here talking to a snake. He's just standing there with her. Just going, oh, that's a snake. At some point, he forgot what God actually said. I want you to work the ground. I want you to work creation. I want you to protect it. And the most important thing I want you to protect is this woman, this wife that I'm giving to you. Look out for her. And then she's his helper. And the word helper, guys, ladies, I want to make sure you get this. The word helper doesn't mean, oh, so I can't do what he does. Guys, you realize that God takes the same title of helper and names himself with the exact same word? This is him going, Adam, I'm giving you a massive responsibility. You can't do this, so I'm going to create a woman to help you along to get this done. This isn't downplaying. Guys, ladies, the reason that you've been elevated with regards to, it blows my mind. It drives me nuts. The Bible, Christianity is what elevated women. You're the pinnacle of God's creation. You have a responsibility and a role. And maybe roles that are different. But it's not, hey, I can do what anyone else can do. No, just do what God wants you to do. And you can do it. Adam, why didn't you step in? Probably the same reason I probably wouldn't have either. Because I would have been intrigued. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened and they... Knew that they were naked. That's, an, that's, a weird, <laughs> that's a weird realization. You're walking around butt naked, don't even know what naked means. That's just life. And all of a sudden, it's like, okay, I'll take a bath. <laughs> what the? <laughs> what is this? What is this? I don't know. We'll call it naked. Yeah, it's naked. I don't like naked. And ever since then, we've had, la- we've had laundry. And that sucks. Adam and Eve owe me a lot of quarters from, from doing a lot of laundry. And they, and they, no, watch, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. That's cute. We'll cut, we'll, let's get some leaves to make clothes. Guys, underwear out of leaves just does not sound comfortable. And then watch. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid themselves. 
Guys, do you realize that this is the first time they run from God because they were ashamed? Because they were afraid. Why? Because sin, just like the video said, just like Megan was saying, it'll lure you in and then it'll just smack you. It's like you have to walk away shamed. As I summarize, it's like God walks through the garden in the cool of the day. He says, hey, he calls from Adam, where are you? And Adam says something like, well, I heard you walking. And, and so I hid myself because I knew I was naked. And he says, well, who told you you were naked? Uh-oh. Um, did you eat of the fruit I told you not to eat? God already knew this. Did you eat of something? Did you eat of the fruit? The woman you gave me. What a man. What a husband. But who else? He blames the woman. Who else does he blame? God. The woman you gave. It's not my fault. If it was, if I didn't feel this way or think this way or go through this, this is your fault. The same thing goes to the woman. What did you do? Double made me do it. And can you imagine the serpent just on the side, just smiling? I broke it. And everything changed. Guys, keep your finger there in Genesis. We're going to fly through John chapter 8, verse 1. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Verse 1, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, verse 2. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women, so what do you say? It says, this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Now stop there for just a second. How do, you, how do they catch her in the act? I mean, what are you guys doing? It says, we caught her in the act, and guys, think of the shame. These are supposed to be the religious leaders, the shepherds of God's people. Using her as a prop, as an object, that would never happen today, right? Can you imagine they catch her in the act, and as they drag her out of wherever she was, all she can grab is one sheet and wrap it around her, walk her into the temple, and stand her in front of everyone, and say, hey, the law of Moses says we're supposed to stone such women. What do you say? Wanting him to disagree. Why? Because if you disagree with the law of God, then you must not be of God. Guys, here's the problem. The law of God actually said if, you, any, if a woman and man are caught in adultery, you're supposed to stone them both. Whoever was the man? And it doesn't say it in the passage. But was the only reason that she was caught in the act of adultery was because it was one of them? And so what's Jesus' response? I mean, this is a tense moment. I've never had a church service like this. Never. Now watch. Verse 7. Oh, no, that's not what he said. Verse 6. After all that, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. That's it. <laughs> this is so weird. Jesus is so rad. Jesus says, what do you say? Hmm. Like, what, what are you doodling? Like, what are you doing? He just starts to write the dirt. And as they, continued, as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, 
Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Woo. You think at that moment she closed her eyes and got ready for it? Guys, you know how often I've heard this verse taken out of context? I've heard people on TV quote it all the time. Hey, those of you without sin, cast the first stone. But they stop. That's where they stop. They don't go with the rest of the passage. It's like, you can't judge me. Guys, you realize the Bible actually says that we as followers of Jesus are supposed to judge one another? Lovingly judge. Come along one, alongside each other and go, hey, what I'm noticing in the word, what I'm noticing in your life, it's not, going, it's not coinciding. It's not going together. Guys, we call it accountability. The Bible just calls it judging. But it's out of brotherly and sisterly love. So they just quote this one part. Verse 8, once more, he bent down, rode on the ground. When they heard it, they were, I'm sorry, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. You ever wonder what he wrote? This is my opinion. Like, don't, I'm not, don't go to the grave. It's like, this is what it is. I have no clue. I'm going to ask him. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him two things. What did you write? What the heck was a mosquito? I don't understand that one. So here's the thing. Here's what I think he wrote. What if? He's looking around the room going, hey, those of you without sin, cast the first stone. And he looks in the corner, he sees the oldest guy. Jojo, you know better than this. Writes his name and his sin. Hey, Ed, you're next. Ed and your sin. And one by one, they dropped their stones and they left. They dropped their rocks and they walked away. That's what I think happened. Can you imagine as she's getting ready, just get like rocks pelted at her. She's just getting ready and she hears thud, thud, thud. And either she's thinking they're walking away or just, they're just really bad shots. <laughs> thud, 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 thud. And they all walked away. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and took two stones and crushed her skull. No, I'm just joking. It doesn't say that. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> That's it. Good night. We'll see you. <laughs> no, no, wait, wait. That's why you need to know the Bible. Here's, okay. Now we sit there and go, Jesus would never do that. Wait, wait, wait. Listen. What did he say? Those of you without sin cast the first stone. Jesus, in righteousness, could have done that, for he was without sin. We think, well, he had to come save the day. He did not. That's his grace and mercy. He could have done exactly what he invited them to do because he was without sin. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, woman. Guys, this, remember, this isn't like woman. You know why I think this is so important? Because the way that Jesus treated her was as a woman. And the way that the religious, leader treated, the, the religious leaders treated her was property. And in that one word, restored value. Woman. It's from the beginning. It's chapter 3. When I put you together, woman. Where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, now watch. Neither do I condemn you. And this is where most people stop. You have to finish his thought. Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. In other words, repent. 
Stop it. Guys, you see, guys, we are sinful. But when you come to Christ, your identity is changed. Your, your identity is changed to saint. You're a saint who sins rather than just a sinner. But it doesn't mean that when you come to Christ, you don't struggle with sin. But that also does not give us license to continue to just do that. Some may say, Brian, I'm a Christian. I'm just not practicing. That's like me saying, I'm married. I'm just not practicing. You're either following Christ or you're not. But the only thing, the thing that has to happen with our sin is that God would convict us of it. And our response is to repent from it, to turn from it, not to flirt and play with it. We're supposed to die to that old self and live to new life. And followers of Jesus, the way we live impacts the view that the world has on who Jesus is and what he does. But we have to understand we are sinners. Back to chapter 3, and the worship team can come back up. Guys, I love chapter 3 of Genesis. And it sounds weird because after God has this conversation with them, he looks at the, he looks at the serpent and curses him, looks at the woman and curses her, and then looks at the man and curses him, and it just seems like it's all over. Like there's God just being the mean, nasty ogre that he is. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. I love that. It's going to go, why? It's just a, it's part of the narrative. It's part of the story. No, listen to it, friends. It is so much bigger than that. In order to get the skin from an animal, what do you have to do to the animal? kill it so there's the first shedding of blood of something that's innocent to cover the sins of sinners god initiated it right they didn't ask they're, they're sitting there in leaves and god looks at them and says okay i'll make you garments of skins and i will cover you something innocent had to die blood had to be shed so that god could cover them that jesus would come and do for us the same chapter we broke it, in that same chapter, God declared that he would fix it. Why? Because that's what every good dad does. Some sinner go, I don't know my dad, or I don't like my dad, or our home sucks. And friends, for that, I'm so sorry if that's your experience. There's a perfect father who loves almost uncontrollably, without regret, but he is holy. And he, you cannot approach him on your own. And so when Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except for him who meant it. But we first have to acknowledge our sin. We do not deserve it. And all that does is beautify the gospel. Guys, I know this is a heavier message. I get it. But it is necessary. And the reason that maybe for some, it's heavier than normal. Guys, if you're not hearing it, 
I, I sat with your youth pastors. I sat with them at dinner. I'm like, these people love the Bible, and they love you. I was just so blown away. I sat there going, God, thank you. You've placed people into the lives of these students who will preach and proclaim your word. The one thing that stood out the most is like, I just love you because you preach the word. And I'm like, yes. Youth pastors, thank you. Do not ever stray from that. The gospel still changes everything. But students, we need to wrestle with sin so we can wrestle toward freedom and let God free us, but wrestle with it. Admit it, confess it, repent from it, deal with it, be honest about it. But praise God, he's not afraid to jump into the muck and the mire and the dirt Who will save me from this body of death? Just like the video. Here's the answer. Praise be to God. Let me pray. So, Father, as we close our time together in this setting, Holy Spirit, please convict all of us of sin. Convict us and show us where we need to confess we need to agree with you of what it is, and we need to repent from it, turn away from it. God, I pray that you would help us to do that, but then, oh God, bring people to salvation tonight in cabin discussions. I don't care what happens in chapel, just bring them to Jesus. And may they, may they experience the freedom that comes with confession. May they experience the liberty that comes with repentance. But Holy Spirit, I pray that you would weigh down, your glory would weigh down on us to reveal to us our sin that we might appreciate you. God, as we sing to you and as we worship you, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's grateful followers say, amen. Love you more than you know.